The Antifada is more than a podcast. It's a specter haunting the globe. It is the synthesis of the two most frightening things for the cheerleaders of this reactionary Hollywood. One ravaged by the unbounded savagery of capital and its states. Antifa super soldiers and Intifada. Bash the bash of the global uprising. Be prepared to enter the Antifada mindset. I'm Jamie Peck. And I'm Sean KB. And we are broadcasting not live from Leftist Fest headquarters, about a half hour walk from the gentrification ravaged Gowanus Canal in the coastal elite bubble of America, downtown Brooklyn, USA. That's right. And uh, we are proud to introduce today a special guest, a last minute guest, Andrew Calloway. <laughs> Say hello to the folks. Our new friend. Hey there. How you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty uh, good. We always like to talk a little bit about our history with our guests that we have on the show That's um right. andrew and i go way back to uh earlier today Wait, so <laughs> so far back it feels like years though this yeah, is I a know. this is a pretty good story actually we had uh unfortunately a guest fall through so at the last minute jamie came through in the clutch and found andrew uh and he came by <laughs> literally last minute we're recording about 10 o'clock right now and i think you hit him up around 8 30 <laughs> And yeah. he was here in no time at all. Well, he just picked me up at the DSA convention. I just found him on the street. I was like, hey, man, you want to be on our podcast? It's about politics. And he was like, cool. Yeah, let's do it. Was it the uh, cardboard sign he had that said, Will Pod for food? Mm, that might have played a small role in it. I, I, I am actually just here to, um, to advertise my podcast. Yes, please. Which is called Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything. I'm like the sidekick. So it's not, it's not my theory of everything. But you should still listen to it. All right. We have a Check segment about DSA in it. I don't know how much you guys talk about DSA yeah, on your show. Decent a about, bit, yeah. A bit. Yeah. So, but cool. you should listen to it. It's about the Posadists. Oh, nice. Utopia Part Three. We are pro Posad on this podcast for sure. Our Pos- segment was pro Posad too. Nice. We had on Ravi and uh, a certain Mister Website. Oh, so here's a question we like to ask everyone we have on our show, and that is, how pure is your hate today? How pure is my hate today? Mm-hmm. It's an honest question. Be honest. Oh wow! Today, I think it was it was purer than most days. Actually, I don't know if it was just like the DSA convention like remade me mad about everything that I'm mad about. Um, it's very possible. But no, I think today is, is a particularly pure day. That is excellent. excellent. That's great to hear. We picked the wow. right guy off the street. I tell you. Fine. Yeah. I mean, just to clarify, he uh, Andrew is a DSA comrade of mine who I have never talked to until pretty much just now. But uh, we were all drinking at a bar after the convention today, which was very long and eventful. Uh, we had a little group chat going for the North Brooklyn DSA to discuss resolutions and whatnot. So when I found out our guest wasn't coming and I had just left the bar and come here, I was like, oh, shit hey, guys, does anyone want to come on our show? And he was so down. Well, at first, I d- did not. I was like, oh, geez, if you expect me to talk like good political things about the convention, like wrong guy. <laughs> but you said you were going to talk about incels. Yes. Um, and I was like, oh, it, maybe that I can talk about. So as know? an incel, you said, this is right <laughs> in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Again, we found the right guy. Indeed. You know, sometimes the stars are aligned. Well, I think that there's um, there's actually actually some interesting things that happened today that at your convention uh, that you guys want to talk about. Uh, before we jump into that, just a couple administrative things. Um, we wanted to give a big shout out to uh, all of our patrons. Uh, we're up to almost a hundred right now. 
also the moderators on our Discord community, which is growing by the day. Hell yeah. And is really fun. There's really good political conversation, but also just fun chatting and voice chat and all that. And um, and especially a big shout out to uh, Brian Diamond from Minnesota, uh, who came through with a very, very nice large pledge that we didn't even ask him for, but he offered it uh, of his own volition. So thank you. thank you so much, Brian. And just so folks remember, when we get to the strange number of 183 patrons, which we're getting, we're more than halfway there, we will be releasing first episode of Acid Kitchen. Oh, God. Possibly the last as well. Yeah. We'll see. May I ask? Let's see as how it goes. Guest, as the ignorant guest, what Acid mm. Kitchen is? We, we could give you the lowdown maybe after the show. Jamie might give a little teaser right now for the fans. It's a cooking show. That's it. That's all you get. Yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> we had a pretty fun time at the convention today, didn't we, Andrew? It, it was great. Although I would like to give a shout out to Comrade Charlotte Albrecht, who I just discovered um, injured her foot and is at oh, the no. ER oh, right, now. right now. Right now. What the yeah. fuck? I, she was fine when I left. Yeah, was it a bar? bar? It was at the bar. Oh, oh no. Bar. Yeah. Um, but she's. One of my heroes. So. Yeah, wow. she's great. Bar-related injuries. In I've fact, been there. Shout out to Charlotte. Um, she was actually the one who encouraged me to run for delegate. So if it weren't for her, I probably wouldn't have gone. Me too. Oh, no shit. Well, and she had to convince me. Well, it's... Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. Okay. Given, you twisted my arm. Given that history, you probably shouldn't have Tanya harding her uh, in order to take her position. But uh, just <laughs> I hope you have an alibi for that uh, bar incident that happened politics for you i will say i said she had to convince me but as soon as she you know as soon as i expressed a reservation she was like oh it's okay you don't have to and i was like well fuck that now (laughs) now i want to you gotta do it river psychology very smart charlotte very smart so So, yeah what sort of uh were there some interesting proposals today at the convention there were indeed um one i was very surprised got voted up so quickly um I was sort of lining up to say something against it, and it was like, it was too late. I hesitated for too long, and it just passed immediately. But it was a resolution to encourage all the DSA members to get rank-and-file union jobs so as to uh, radicalize their unions. Not their unions, but the unions they would potentially yeah, be joining. they would become theirs. And, is um, this like salting? Well, is, salting yeah. is when you join a when you get a job somewhere for the purpose of unionizing it. You're right. Yeah. It's so a little this different. This is like getting it. a union job for the purpose of radicalizing your union. It's similar in just the espionage. Aspect. Yeah. There's sure. a, there's a term for it. Uh, the one, the two actually, one is uh, industrializing. So there's a history of that on the left, uh, the U S going back to the communist party in the thirties, forties and fifties. Uh, and then also trot groups like the uh, socialist workers party in the 1970s. Um, so industrializing is one term and entryism, uh, is the other. So, um, it's a bit of a well-worn tactic on the left. Um, you guys can, cause you're more involved in the convention than I am kind of give your take on it. And then I can maybe throw in a little history and maybe some pessimistic perspective on it. Well, I was doubtful as to whether or not this was a good idea because I know it's been tried in the past to varying degrees of success. And I know who's in the DSA right now. And Who is it? I've, well, like, I, I like us very much, but um, it is, shall we say, a very small slice of the working class. Okay. We, we tend to be, like, 
millennial creative class kind of marshmallowy. We're like downwardly mobile. There's start, definitely yes. a large yes overrepresentation of the the fail caucus, class, so <laughs> right. to speak. Yeah, yeah, and we're I'd say we're more racially diverse than people think we are, but we could certainly be more so. But the it really is. It tends to be a certain cultural milieu. So you're, the hipster caucus is like 90%. Right? They, <laughs> they get every proposal they ever want. I mean, we are in the North Brooklyn branch, so I'm probably a, getting a skewed perception of it. But as far uh, as I know. Maybe not. I think, I, think, I think it's, from my understanding, you know, South Brooklyn, other branches are far less. I mean, North Brooklyn, Central Brooklyn are much more creative class than other branches, from what I understand as an ignorant person. All right. Well, <laughs> imagine, you know, imagine one of us coming onto a job site like, hey, I'm here to do heavy construction and also talk about socialism with you. Like, I just don't see that working terribly well. Um, I mean, we should be getting jobs because we need them. Right. Everybody needs a job. And like, I guess if there's like some sort of group formed to help people who need jobs get jobs good union jobs and that's good like everybody needs jobs right we're all casting about for how we should be making a living in this late capitalist hell world i do work in heavy construction myself so um the idea of simply entering the trades purely out of political conviction uh in order to radicalize and start some sort of rank and file insurgency uh, seems absurd uh, for a couple of reasons. And the first is that it will not work. There is a um, relatively conservative uh, old guard of rank and file folks who aren't interested in politics in general, certainly are not ready to uh, you know, have a bunch of uh, socialist agitators up in there on the job site when mostly you're just trying to get work well, done. Are you telling me you're not out as a Marxist at work, babe? I am most certainly not out. Uh, in fact, you know, I keep that pretty on the low uh, for the time being until the social conditions are right for me to actually, you know, start pushing things forward. Because that's the other part of it, too, is that, you know, as a as a union worker, uh, you know, you let's say you're learning a trade or you're a nurse or you're a teacher. You know, it takes a lot of skills and experience and practice and hard work in order to get to the point where you're effective at that job. So what are you going to go through like? three, four, five years of school or training in order to get a rank-and-file union job, and then what, you're going to just radicalize people in the course of a couple of years and then drop out of it? Like, I, I think what you were saying, Jamie, is the right, the right stance on it, which is if you need a job, it makes sense to funnel people into union jobs or potentially help salt, right, or uh, things of that sort. But what makes more sense than just kind of inserting these people from the outside into these existing bureaucratic, oftentimes conservative institutions would be to organize your own workplace. Yeah, totally. That people are already working in, already have the connections to. And just because, uh, you know, a lot of the union work that's left in the city is blue collar, whether it's sanitation, it's Teamsters, it's building trades, um, you know, media is also organizing. And yeah. white collar, pink collar, blue collar, it doesn't matter. All workers uh, should be organizing uh, in order to not only get the benefits and the pay and the work rules and all that good stuff that come with unions, uh, but also to build class power. Yeah, I think part of the idea, too, is to try to expand our base into more of the working class, right? And I should also note that a lot of people in the DSA are very young. 
So maybe they don't really have a career yet and they're sort of looking around for what road they should be going down in life. So Yeah, this is going to be kind of my point is that as a, you know, as a youngster when I was 17, 18, you know, I kind of, I would have loved to get a union job, but I just had no idea how, you know, and if at that time the DSA had existed and had, you know, and I'd known about it and had had some sort of way to make a connection for me, like that would have been great. And I think, and you know, I could see this as really great for YDS or something like that. Um, for, the, for clarification, that's Young Democratic Socialist? Young Democratic Socialist Yeah, the kids are all right. The kids are pretty great. So perhaps, you know, I'm not sure how old you are because I just met you. I don't even know who the <laughs> hell you are. But uh, presumably, you know, if the DSA had been, uh, you know, at, maybe at the level that it's at now or even larger, you know, when you were a, a younger person, it could have provided that sort of resource, you know, for you to understand what it took in order to, to get into the a unionized field. Uh, hypothetically, you know, if that was a resource that was being provided by the DSA. So that, I think, is something that, you know, is worth working towards for you folks as an organization. But, um, I, I, again, I, that's, that's far different from just trying to kind of helicopter airdrop people into, like, you know, sanitation or, or yeah. whatever the case I'm may picturing be. some, one of our, like, I don't know, media working group comrades, like, hi, I'm a web designer. I want a job on this construction site. Also, like, I'm a socialist. It's like yeah. the opposite of the coal miners learning how to code. You know, yeah. the programmers <laughs> learning how to coal mine, you know? Totally. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's, a gr that's a really good analogy. Uh, oh, the, um, <laughs> go but, you know, that's one of the interesting things about all the amendments and resolutions is that, you know, they're so open to interpretation and there's so many different, you know, as soon as you start talking about them, there's so many different ways that you could see it playing out. And that was a really complex thing for me at the constitution is a lot of things that I thought, you know, maybe were a clear and obvious yes to me. When I, when I heard the debate, it, it opened it up and I started thinking more about the unintended consequences. Yeah, totally. Like there were a few things that I felt that way about as well. I like, I was pretty sure that I knew what I was going to vote. And then I would hear somebody say something about it, and I was like, oh, that's a great fucking point. Just to get back to the to the rank and file thing, I want to make myself clear. Um, I think the – I talk shit on it, right, as a proposal, and I guess it passed, so we'll see how the whole thing uh, pans out. But um, I think the positive thing about it is that uh, it does show a great and growing orientation towards – grassroots organizing within not just the working class but also trade unions which is where a socialist organization has to be going always is to the base yeah totally so another resolution that was probably i would say the most lit of the day was one <laughs> concerning uh bernie sanders the discourse was lit it, uh, one might even say lit af yeah lit in what way like uh people were trying to light each other on fire with molotovs or like fun I mean, not literally yes. but yes there was, there was some tough talk. Did you burn down Judson Memorial <laughs> Church? God damn you people. I was going to anarchist book fairs there 15 years ago. Mm, yeah, that would, that would be just like us, wouldn't it? Yeah, you adventurous scum. Fucking firebugs, all of us. DSA, no. very well known throughout the years for being, for its radical, radical. Vi violent interventions. Fieriness, exactly. You are Antifa super soldier. Oh, I mean, I don't want to name any names, but there was there were definitely some accusations of bad faith bandied about. Ultra left is the term mm. that I've seen. Yeah, someone Ooh. someone referred to the critics as bad faith ultra left. 
Damn. Which perhaps should be words. the new name of our show. <laughs> yeah, if Antifada doesn't pan out, that uh, that sounds good. If we ever have to change our name for any reason, keep that one in the bank. But no, so there was, uh, there was a resolution floated that was uh, ostensibly designed to m- just make us figure out what we wanted our relationship to be to the Bernie Sanders campaign before he announced. And he hasn't announced yet, but we're all pretty sure that he will. But the way it was written, it really read like a soft endorsement. Like the last line was something like, we enthusiastically call upon Bernie Sanders to run for president. And like... That's the worst part. That Come on. Yeah, come on, man. There are 30,000... What is it, 40,000 people now? Something like, yeah, something that. like that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that the enthusiastic uh, you know, endorsement of the DSA right now is going to be like... Bernie's going to be like, well, I was going to retire. I was going to go live <laughs> on a farm in Vermont and grow llamas. But instead, <laughs> I guess I'll run for president and institute full communism for the DSA. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I mean... I agreed with a lot of things that people were saying. Like, I think by campaigning for Bernie and forming a relationship with the Bernie Sanders campaign, we could get him to work with us on a number of issues that we care about. And we could interact with people and grow our base among people who might not have otherwise known about us. I know a lot of people got involved in the DSA post-2016. I think we have one sitting right here. That's me. And you know what? Come to think of it, so did I. So there you go. There we go. But um, we, we as an organization, you know, the amendment floated by one uh, old head notwithstanding, we do sit substantially to the left of Bernie Sanders. Right. And as such, we shouldn't be so thirsty for his approval. Like, we should let him come to us. And I got up and I said this. This is what I said. Um, I think we should withhold our endorsement and our material aid for the same reason that he withheld his endorsement from Hillary. And that is to extract concessions because there are some, some positions he has that are very problematic for us as socialists and even just humanists like Israel, Israel, foreign policy, FOSTA, SESTA, like people are literally going to die because of FOSTA and SESTA. People already have died because of us foreign policy. These are not, tiny points of disagreement here so i would hope that socialists wouldn't be quite so thirsty to slob on his knob that they can't hold out a little bit longer in exchange for some real shit and we all know he's gonna run i mean this you know it's it's pretty clear at this point that's what all the people who i assume are smart about things say is that he's gonna run so why why enthusiastically support you know, it doesn't make any, it just for optics alone, like the idea that we prepare for Bernie, obviously we should do that, but like, do we need to enthusiastically endorse before? No. Do we need a resolution to prepare? Yeah, that that it, makes a lot more sense, a resolution to prepare, because then you actually have a street game, you know, for when, you know, the electoral carnival that we have every four years or so begins nobody's planning on not thinking about it right (laughs) right i mean i was i was just gonna go home and not think about it indefinitely oh no i'm i'm being way spicier than i thought i was gonna be this is too late no that's great man we love these came here after the bar see Mm -hmm. that's well i think a lot of the many of the people arguing in favor of the bernie resolution made excellent points and in fact there was a, a sex worker um, who was arguing in favor of the resolution yeah. and uh, you know spoke about 
you know. She wants a seat at the table. Yeah, and I mean, and she, you know, like she made some good points. Yeah, I think most of us agreed on ideology. It was just a disagreement on tactics for the most part. That's a good spot to be in as an organization, honestly, especially one that's uh, grown so fast. Is uh, if you're not having huge debates about, you know, what the ultimate, you know, strategy or the vision is, it's merely over tactical issues, then, you know, it's like I said, with the working class, with the rank and file thing, you know, it shows a move in a good direction, whether that's a good tactic or not, the strategy remains that we want to build a base, a larger, more diverse base within the working class. So yeah, totally. All good stuff. There were really only a few people who were at all condescending to the idea of real socialism and wanting to end capitalism. So in case anyone didn't know that about the DSA, we are actual socialists. Especially it sounds like uh, the New York City branch and the East Bay branch, too, apparently is pretty radical as well. I'm not sure how it is uh, elsewhere in the country, but. The uh, East Bay branch is supposed to be particularly radical. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, there's a uh, I think a pretty large uh, communist caucus out there. That's Antifa HQ. Yeah. I got a lot of comrades out there in, uh, in Oakland and uh, the Bay in general, and uh, they throw the fuck down out there, man. They don't fuck around. They were the ones that actually got solidarity from the longshoremen uh, when they were doing uh, their, their protests, uh, you know, four or five years ago. Well, I just, I'm from San Francisco, oh. so shout out to San Francisco DSA. This is great, having somebody we never met on before and we barely yeah. know is that we learn new things about you like every two or three minutes on the pod. That's great. <laughs> Literally everything I say is learning a new thing about me. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, that is true. I made a video called uh, Bernie Would Have Won last year, like right after the election, where I put the song Girls Just Want to Have Fun and wrote lyrics called Bernie Would Have Won. Jamie, cue the uh, karaoke version of that track. He's going to sing it for us live in studio. You shouldn't put that in the podcast, but I just wanted to tell you. Oh, no. No, you have to sing for your supper, all right? You said, will podcast for food. Our podcast includes karaoke on every episode. So one, two, three. Just kidding. We wouldn't do that to you. (laughs) I would need a rehearsal. Maybe next time. I need a better mic. I need makeup. (laughs) You know? Uh, You got a great face for radio, man. Come on. (laughs) So speaking of faces and their varying degrees of greatness, um, uh, (laughs) I think this is a good segue into talking about the incel rebellion. You want to tell them about it, babe? The incel rebellion. Well, we're going to get pretty deep into incels. Our last two episodes, I got to say, were pretty theory heavy. Uh, We didn't get too many complaints, but, uh, you know, some folks said that uh, all this... Marxist theory went a little over their heads, so we're going to get down deep and dirty into the darkest reaches of the internet, uh, and we are going to talk about a group of disaffected young men who uh, now twice, I guess, in the last couple of years have uh, killed people over uh, not getting laid. Uh, Jesus so, Christ. Yeah, Toronto, uh, there was recently on the 23rd a attack by a self-proclaimed uh, involuntary celibate. He ran a van into... Uh, a uh, crowd of people and killed 10 and injured many, many more. Uh, obviously, a absolutely horrific attack. So go ahead and play the audio on that. 20 horrific minutes for a van speeding along a sidewalk to hit, injure, and kill many pedestrians in a crowded part of Toronto. During a brief appearance in court, 25-year-old Alec Manassian was charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder, 13 of attempted murder. Without speculating about motive, police say they've seized a cell phone and are looking into social media posts that appear to warn about a pending attack. As has been reported in the media, 
The accused is alleged to have posted a cryptic message on Facebook minutes before he began driving the rented van, and he drove it southbound on Young Street and onto the crowded sidewalks. Media reports say this post, now taken down by Facebook, referred to an online group called Incel, or Involuntary Celibacy, where members revile women who they say refuse to have relationships with them. The post also praises someone with similar views who killed six in California in 2014. Probably security services in Canada and elsewhere will be uh, subcontracting people to go out and do some research on a movement like the Incel Movement to see if this is a one-off or if we're dealing with a rising crescendo of individuals sounding this uh, call to rebellion against society for this issue. Yeah, so that uh, report from uh, Al Jazeera came out, I think, uh, soon after the actual uh, attack itself. I, I find it notable that the uh, police representative, whoever that nerdy guy was in the video, uh, said that the guy was put a cryptic message on his Facebook page. Uh, that shows, again, how divorced this whole incel, manosphere, faction of bizarre, angry, weird nerds on the Internet is, is that it's considered cryptic to talk about 4chan. Well, um, to most people, it is. Exactly, Normal people yeah. don't know about this. Right, which is why, like you said before, it's incredible to see this popping up in the media right Good now. God. Like, uh, he, uh, like he, I never thought I was going to have to explain insults to my mom. Oh, but, God. you know, life comes at you fast. My grandmother's going to start calling me and being like, do you know about the incels? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, grandma doesn't need to know. But I, I think the other interesting thing that they did, too, is they, <laughs> the guy said a uh, group called incels. And for me, that was kind of uh, similar to how people talk about Antifa, Antifa you know? Yeah. I almost said Antifa. Antifa, you know, as though it's this sort of uh, organized, centralized group. You know, the president going, uh, of Antifa. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, uh, Soros. Antifa. Yeah. Soros money and, you know, like a, a strict uh, hierarchy of command. Uh, so, again, it shows how far the media is and uh, normies, as they say, are from understanding what these psychos are yeah. all about i also find it telling that president trump didn't say shit about it i mean this this last one happened in canada but i mean he is their king really is, yeah because that's what they want they don't want a two-sided relationship that takes work with another human being they want to have power over a woman they want to own her as their possession well on that uh the last thing that Homeboy said uh, before he killed those people in Toronto in his little Facebook uh, message was, all hail supreme gentleman, Elliot Roger. And as we'll see in, these, uh, in this clip, uh, he hits on a lot of the notes you were talking about, Jamie. Yeah. Oh, and not for nothing. If this had been a Muslim, can you even imagine what Trump would be saying and doing right now? Like, if they were going to have a proportional response, they would be locking down every 20-sided die store in the <laughs> country. Instead, it's like, oh, well, you know, guy's going to guy. I'm not saying that they should do that. They shouldn't do that to anyone. But exactly, uh, yeah. if they were going to treat these guys the same way they treat Muslims, then, yeah. Well, we'll get into that about, uh, you know, the comparison between this and other sorts of terrorism. Let's go ahead and uh, play the clip. For the last eight years of my life, Ever since I've hit puberty, I've been forced to endure an existence of loneliness, rejection, and unfulfilled desires. <laughs> all because girls have never been attracted to me. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, yeah, I know. It gets worse. I don't know what you don't see in me. I'm the perfect guy. And yet you throw yourselves at all these 
obnoxious men instead of me. Supreme <laughs> gentleman. All right. Well, okay, you follow all these, you, the, all these obnoxious men instead of me is like the best line yeah. ever. Right, you can't is, write that he, shit. Yo, he straight up is like, like the whole incel idea that we're going to unpack is in all this shit. This is why I found all these different, like, perfect clips. Um, no, that's before, an amazing clip. Okay, before we go any further, I want both of you to check your Chad privilege. <laughs> okay. Because. Um, I mean, you, I know you, babe, uh, you've never had any problems relating with the opposite sex and I don't know you, um, I don't want to objectify our guest and for all I know, you could be a huge fucking virgin, but like to all outward appearances, this guy fucks. He smashes. Any comment on that <laughs> new friend? Check oh, that, your privilege. That's one thing our new friend won't tell us about. Okay. Just like a typical Chad. <laughs> Actually, no, aren't like Chad's, they brag about all their sex. That's what the insults like uh, complain about and shit. Do yeah. they? Yeah. That's oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe he's just a regular ass dude. Who knows? So, Who knows? In, so, do, so incel, so uh, the Chad's like an, an alpha. Well, let's, we we're going to not do comment in between. We're going to hit all these. Yeah. And then we're going to go back. We're keeping that part. Oh yeah. Finally see that I am in truth, the superior one. The true alpha male. <laughs> he just wanted that little laugh, evil little laugh, laugh in there in the yeah. end. Yeah, that's important. I'll be a god, exacting my retribution and all those who deserve it. And you do deserve it, just for the crime of living a better life than me. All you popular kids, you've never accepted me. And now you all pay for it. girls all i've ever wanted was to love you and to be loved by you i wanted a girlfriend i wanted sex i wanted love affection adoration you think i'm unworthy of it i hate all of you humanity is a disgusting wretched depraved species if i had it in my power i would stop at nothing to reduce every single one of you to mountains of skulls and rivers of blood. Jesus! Yeah. And rightfully it. so. And rightfully so. You deserve to be annihilated. That's it. He touches on, I think, a lot of the themes you want to get at uh, with this uh, incel conversation. Um, he talks about his loneliness and uh, his rejection. He talks about his hatred not only of uh, women in general, but also uh, the men that are able to attain, you know, the, the sex that, uh, that he has never had as a virgin. He also, and I, I think we're going to tease this out later, talks about love and affection, you know, like uh, as though, you know, that were his those were his motivating desires. And uh, he expresses this at the end with a very dark vision of just the hatred of humanity. What do you say? Like piles, piles of, of skulls, skulls and, and rivers, rivers of blood. Jesus oh Christ. God. I mean, yeah. Who wouldn't want to date a guy like that? Seriously. That's the great irony about the nice guy, quote unquote, right? The supreme gentleman. He's like, oh, you women won't date me, but I'm such a nice guy. You fucking whore. Right. Like, mm, 
I don't know how nice that guy is, actually. And well, there's this whole idea that the intention of being nice or wanting love somehow translates into being a good partner. Right. When what that requires is an enormous amount of work and conscious effort. You know, and I think this is something that even men who aren't like terrible, like don't really understand is how much like dating and relationships are like work and something that like like I'm amazed by how like little effort men put into the process of dating you know like tinder is like the hardest fucking thing they've ever done or like like okay yeah. like or ev i mean even tinder and okay cupid having to write a whole profile like that's the hardest thing you've ever done to try to like date somebody when it's like you know the amount of effort that women yeah. on, on average put into dating is like come on there are entire periodicals aimed at helping women make themselves more appealing partners in various ways right and uh this again, you know, to, to broaden things out once more, this incel phenomenon is part of a much larger phenomenon. Maybe the umbrella of this whole thing would be the manosphere, as they call it. Oh, uh, our more millennial advanced extreme online people, uh, fans will know uh, a lot about that. But the manosphere really, you know, is a whole spectrum of people who are frustrated, not only with their own sex lives, uh, but uh, just alienated from society, it seems, in general, unable to do, as you said, Andrew, uh, to put the work into not only making themselves better <laughs> as better partners, uh, but also, you know, contributing anything to society besides shit posting uh, rape jokes on Reddit. Um, I mean, I, I, I would say that the effort with regards to dating is probably across party lines there. I think probably most leftist men yeah. have the same. Um, but, you know, not, not to say that it does, it's obviously the manosphere is much worse, you know. Uh, I mean, that's a whole ideology. Dude, I like to think I'm pretty cool and a lot of people would like to date me. But uh, I did. In the environment of in North Brooklyn in the aughts, man, <laughs> when I met Sean, he had no idea how low the bar had been set by those who came before. <laughs> oh, my God. He didn't, do, he didn't need to do half the stuff he did to get me to like him. And this was many years ago, too. This was before, I think, Tinder, right? And OkCupid okay yeah. and everything? Pre-Tinder. Pre oh, we're so old, babe. PT. That's how we're going <laughs> to so tell we, time from now on. And what you're saying is that overall leftist men... I mean, I wasn't really a leftist at this point in time. I was more of a... I was a very progressive person, but also not terribly engaged in politics. Uh, I was more interested in, like after hours parties and having mediocre sex with fuckboys, <laughs> you know, all that good stuff, and all I, that very worthwhile stuff you do in your twenties. Yeah. I think that's good. Cause it grounds us in another topic that I want to talk about, which is, um, the, the general sort of, um, I don't know, like technological and alienated weirdness of this internet dating phenomenon and, uh, also representations of what, dating and sex and affection is supposed to be that we're given, you know, in pop culture and everything like that. You know, I think that the society sets up this um, very libertine sort of uh, uh, possibility for human beings, uh, young men, right? With the pornography and, you know, like the easy sex that you see all over the place on the internet and on TV. Uh, but real life is not actually like that. In fact, you know, setting up a Tinder profile in a dark basement by yourself or in reading a self-help guide on how to do it uh, is actually kind of fucking depressing. I mean, I don't know. I think it's fine. People have always dated in a variety of ways, and there are plenty of people who are able to use Tinder and be normal about it. I never 
did online well i tried online dating it never really worked for me but uh you know i'm sure it definitely works for some people i mean it, technology is only a small part of it i think most of the alienation comes from shall we say dare i say Capitalism. capitalism. Hell yeah. Let's, I'm pretty uh, pro app. So I, <laughs> capitalism is the real problem. Yeah. Technology is only as good as the hands that it's in. <sighs> well, totally. Or bad. You know, let's uh let's uh talk a little historical materialism then, shall we? Wait, can I can I just jump in? No, historical materialism time. <laughs> no, of course, jump in, jump in. Just talking about misogyny and technology. Um have you guys heard of deep fakes? No. no. Okay. Do tell. So this is a segment that we worked on on our on our podcast. Another plug. We, on another on plug. the theory Go of on. everything, Benjamin Walker's theory of everything, <laughs> where we talk to um, uh, deepfakes is uh, an AI technology that's designed that was designed by a Reddit user that will basically create a 3D model of somebody else, somebody's face based on a tons of images and it can map it onto somebody else's oh, face. Oh, they insert it into porn. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And so it's this that. whole subreddit community that I was taking actresses and where it gets really disturbing is just random people. You know, this could be like a high school girl oh, and Jesus put her Christ. face on a porn clip, right? That is supposed to happen in your imagination, guys. Let's not legitimize it by putting it in pixels. Totally. Okay, but, you're, yeah, go on, go on. I was just going to say, for, for our segment... You know, uh, people talk about this as disturbing, mostly um, in the media that we saw from uh, a perspective of, oh, no, like fake news. Like there'll be more fake news if we're faking video clips. But we, you know, we have to look at where the technology originated and where the technology originated. Technology always, guys. Insanely disturbing ideological misogyny, like specifically about attacking women. Um, yeah. You know, and and I mean, and that's sure that's, that's the that's, origin uh, of Facebook too. You know, fucking face smash. Yeah, they wanted like to when, check out which girls were hot at their college. Uh, all right, I'll concede that. that. I was going to push back, but I'll concede It was that. named after the freshman Facebook. For those who aren't fucking coastal elites, uh, I feel like they don't necessarily know this, but the Facebook was a literal book that we had at Ivy League schools and perhaps other schools too. The freshman Facebook? I never heard of it. Okay. So the freshman Facebook was exactly what it sounds like. It was a book of all the faces of all the freshmen. And people, you know, mostly dudes, would look through it for, like, which freshman they wanted to bang. And I actually met some people that way when I was a freshman <laughs> in college. Wow. They, uh, they Big saw reveal. These, uh, these dudes, I think they were seniors. They lived off campus. They were so cool. They saw me in the freshman Facebook and then looked me up in the directory and called me on my fucking dorm phone and invited me over. And I went because I was a loser and I didn't know anybody. My, my comment was about the first app that Mark Zuckerberg made was literally like a hot or not app that was for rating women, you know. I, you know, as Facebook functioned. Before Facebook. But, yeah, right, oh, okay. right before Facebook, he made a hot or not app. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the literal book. Oh, no, 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 no. Imagine, like, working really hard and getting into Harvard, and then, like, that's what people do to you there. <laughs> like, oh, still a woman, still going to be objectified no matter what. Cool. Let me try to defend my position that things are different now with the internet. Now, I concede uh, the point that technology is neutral in a sense you know uh it's these are tools and it's how we use them right but i think to get to a historical materialist analysis right uh the ways that um 
the way that capitalism develops and uh, I think somebody called it uh, almost this acid of social bonds right yeah it's constantly reinventing itself and it's constantly changing the social relations uh, that exist um, I think that right now um, a particular particularly pernicious form of uh, the internet uh, has arisen and we saw this in the uh, with the uh, Cambridge Analytica stuff right uh, but I think we also see this too just in um, these spheres of the internet that you could fall into and thankfully like I said I'm old enough that I never fell into it when I was a kid because who the fuck knows what I would have done uh, where Amen. let's be to be fair the internet was not invented yet when you were a kid no you're right I'll say I'm I'm 28 I was born in 1990 and when I was like probably 14 15 I like totally read like pickup artist stuff Oh, no. See, I would have had no access to that whatsoever. Yeah, like, fair here, enough. Here's one example, right? Like, when we're young, we all have to discover, you know, what sex is, what it entails. Uh, we have to understand what genitalia are. We have to understand that things go from soft to hard and from dry to wet and all that good stuff. You know, when you were... I sound like such a fucking old man right now. But when I was a kid, like, you know, I remember being in uh, a friend's uh, a closet because we were having like the talk. He's going to tell me all about sex in the closet. Yeah. In a dark hey. closet. Well, it was very, when'd you come out of that closet? <laughs> I'm still in the closet. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no. So this kid, he, we went into this closet. He was like, I'm going to tell you about sex. Go in the closet. Nice. And he told me that, um, this is, so hot keep going yeah he said that uh the man's penis gets really hard i was like oh that's weird he's like <laughs> and then they stick it in the woman and i'm like where and they told me i was like wow and then <laughs> were you like no that couldn't possibly be right i mean I, that's what i said i was on the edge of my seat and then <laughs> the way he described it it made it seem like it lasted for days like the guy just left it in there like i don't think he understood the whole process of how it like starts and finishes oh my god and so i just assumed that like for a few days you just left it in there and then he said that when you pull it out it has like fungus and mushrooms on it what? so i don't know where this was a young kid i don't know where he came up with this shit but the point is is that that's Sometimes like i do the, the way that we like discovered sex was uh when we were in the 80s and yeah, 90s through the whisper network through, yeah it was the telephone game Word you know? of mouth. like who knows what the fuck uh operator other people heard. um i asked my friend i was like do you think so like women's there's different right like it's just like 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 just like they don't have balls <laughs> he's like yeah i think that's it i think it's the testicle you know so i yeah i have no fucking idea that's very you gender know, essentialist of him but uh, I, you know, it wasn't woke yet. i'm really gonna date myself here but i think i learned about sex from the movie father of the bride oh featuring wow steve martin ah, uh, Steve Martin. yeah it, i was at a sleepover i think i was like seven or eight maybe and this my worldly friend rachel was like hey if you want to watch this movie you need to know what a condom is and i was like what's a condom and she's like it's something a man puts on for sex and i was like what's sex and she told me and i was like what <laughs> i guess there's a reference to a condom in the movie well let's let's contrast that again with uh you know today with hardcore pornography because i think you're right andrew to say that sex does drive a lot of commerce in general and certainly it drives a lot of the innovation on the internet so like Pornhub is like by far like the biggest you know site on the internet you know i think that when we were kids and we'd go and we'd like 
go to the special store where you could buy the uh, Hustler magazines and the black bags, and then we'd all share it. Like, we'd pass it around, and then, you know, we would hide porn- pornos in the woods, and, like, you know... we <laughs> what? Yeah, we, you dig a hole, and then you go, and you, like, you pull out the pornos and look at them. Yeah, we you know, grew that, up in two this different was, places. This was very fucking analog now. And I guess the point of this whole thing is that when it these incels right these young men let's define it these young men who are very very seriously alienated uh they probably have mental issues to begin with but there's also a whole uh background to this that is uh social and it's cultural uh and it's economic they are bombarded from the time that they're you know able to access the internet with a real knowledge of what sex is and also a very stylized and idealized version of what sex is. You know, this rock hard, uh, you know, porn stud, you know, just pounding, a pile driving a, uh, yeah. you know, absolutely perfectly, you know, fit and, uh, I don't know, lascivious uh, young porn, porn uh, actress. I, I almost said porn star. Adult performer. Adult performer, thank you. But you get my point, right? Like, you know, nowadays uh, I feel like uh, it, it's so out there that... Um, these these kids feel like they're missing on something that's real, but it's not really real. Yeah, they people. also feel like they're entitled to it. And I don't want to give porn too much credit here. Like, I think porn is more a reflection of society or a trailing indicator than an influence on society. But I'm sure, sure there is a bit of a feedback effect. I don't um, want to I don't want to make that my my whole point. It's a larger point about the Internet where. Like instead of us going into the woods and sharing like the penthouse magazine, um, you have forums on the Internet where uh, kids, uh, young men and, and women, too, who are disaffected can now for the first time come together and commiserate with each other uh, and organize with each other, really. Like, you know, the same tool that helped to create Occupy Wall Street and the Arab Spring can also help create Elliot Rogers and the uh, Supreme Gentleman incel. Real double-edged sword. It is. And, and it's, again, a reflection of the, the society we live in and the conditions we live in. I'm going to pop in here as the resident youngster growing up with the internet. What? Um, a baby. So cute. You know, I, like, I like found porn on, like, LimeWire. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had LimeWire. When yeah. I was, like, very, very young. Um, and, and before that, like I wa- watched like hours and hours of MTV as like eight, nine, ten years old, like sp- in the height of like spring break wet T-shirt contest. Oh, yeah. oh, did you ever watch era. HBO Real Sex? I, we did not that have before HBO. Your time? Did you have uh, USA's Up all night? No, I did not have that either. What that about MTV's so- Undressed? It was like porn without the sex parts. Mm-hmm. That sounds terrible. <laughs> did you yeah, find Did you was. find one of your relative's floppy disks that was marked like uh. files and put it into a computer <laughs> and wait three minutes for a pixelated image of like hmm. uh, some naked woman to, uh, sounds, to arrive? None like of the did. relatives had any idea how to use a floppy disk. Right. <laughs> That's some late 80s shit. <laughs> floppy disks, I'm also dating myself again. Oh my God. Blow no, it to I, the I Nintendo <laughs> <laughs> But the point is, like, I do think that had like very negative effects on me and my relationship with sex as like a high school student, you know? Um, I think as a seventh and eighth grader having so much. I went to an all boys K through eight 
um which was like also very bad but so it's like a bunch of dudes like all like sharing porn that we downloaded from limewire it's like insane like obviously we all like like you know all boys until eighth grade and then you go into freshman year high school and you've just been like watch like watching porn and porn and porn and porn like not interacting with any girls like loading yourself up like a spring shot it's it's kind of nuts and and i think porn is a great thing and i fucking think it like totally should exist but or is there no but? There's there's a there, there's the but. I think you know. That's I think it. I think I think for the children, and I think the way it is right now, and the fact that like at least with like my generation of parents, I don't know about people who are parents now, like the inability to like talk about sex in that directive way. Like when my mom caught me watching porn on the computer, she like yelled at me mm. and was mm-hmm. like, "How would you feel if that was your sister?" And I was like, yeah. "Uh." That's a very weird thing to say <laughs> to a child with a boner, you know. Um, Mom just going right in with the incest taboo. She knows how to get you in your deep psychology. It's <laughs> so now we know also, Andrew, too, a bit about your family life. Yeah. So how was your relationship with your sister? No, nothing I'm just nothing sexual. Don't, don't say <laughs> We're really, sorry, we're really getting down to it. That's what we like to do uh, with but, the antifada. We're not know. much for small talk. Yeah. You know, thinking about technology and sex, and I, like I like I I am a big believer that it's like like something like deep fakes. It's not just an advanced version of Photoshop. Like as technology improves, like there are technologies have political ideology behind them. I believe, um, or you know, have or, or lean more towards or enable certain political ideologies more. You know, for instance, like um, Bitcoin, yes. you know, and blockchain. Uh, to in my mind is an inherently right-wing technology yes. um you know like the fetish fetish fetis- fetishization the fetish fetish it's hard okay we'll say it for you the fetishization <laughs> there you go you got it nailed it the fetishization of decentralization you know as a like right wing you know um i don't really have anywhere like super intelligent that this is going but like, yeah, yeah that is a good it. point, though. It. Technology, like, it's presented as this objective good or at least neutral thing, but it was created by a certain class of people that doesn't think of themselves as privileged, but they are, and they're obviously motivated by all sorts of shit, and they're creating that for people like them. Well, the technology- well, let's, let's, let's ground this again, you know, back in our subject matter. Sorry to be the taskmaster here, which is oh, by all means. that... Pornhub was not created because, uh, you know, people wanted to get 11 year olds hooked on hardcore pornography. Uh, Facebook was not created uh, in order to make sure that your uh, aunts and uncles can post some really awkward shit on your timeline. uh, Embarrassed about what they were created for was for profit. Right. And so ultimately, at the end of the day. I think that there is a political element to things like Bitcoin because I think fucking with monetary stuff is a right populist thing, sometimes left populist, but mostly right populist thing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think that YouTube gives a flying fuck that almost all of the comments on that fucking page are angry white kids who are super right wing troll fucking racist misogynist pieces of shit. The, yes. the fucking clicks are yeah. coming in. They don't. They don't they fucking don't care. care. And I mean, then the it comes recent... down to regulate the, the refusal to regulate fucking anything down to Twitter. And that's why all the yep. technology, even if it's neutral, will end will end up leaning right. Mm-hmm. And it, when it goes unregulated, as we tend to with new technology, if you have a profit system, it will end up leaning right because the right is more def- in more defensive capital 
you know, than say the center left, which are Democrats. And certainly um, there is no socialized or uh, collective internet that we can access as leftists, you know, that would provide a way for us to communicate without stealing our data or showing us shitty advertisements that we don't wanna see. You know, the whole infrastructure is there to make profits. And that does, as you say, lead to, you know, certain ideological uh, ramifications. Yeah, if you're a right-wing libertarian in this day and age, or any really, it just means you believe in private tyranny. Like, what's making most people unfree in their day-to-day lives? Is it the government? No, it's their fucking jobs. And people forget about that when they're privileged, but that's true. Well, let's talk about jobs, too, because I think that, um, you know, you can't look at this insult phenomenon, right? And again, let's talk about what this is. I'm not saying blanket that it's all white men. It's mostly white men. It's mostly white men. It's... uh, you know, everyone from, say, like high school students up to maybe people like 30 or so, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's people who are, I think part of what, Andrew, you said uh, before, this kind of downwardly mobile, you know, middle class that's falling into a, yeah, you know, labor market. Yeah, they're losing their privileges. A labor market that's, that, that, that's not what it used to be. And when you've always been super privileged in society and you start to lose that status a little bit, like pretty much anything feels like, horrific oppression to you yeah and uh i think if you look at it historically over the last 40 50 years what the um racial justice movement has done and certainly what the uh women's movement has done is not just do make little gains you know against uh patriarchal power but make real and serious gains against it right so if you're already aggrieved you already feel like you're downwardly mobile you don't have many prospects you might live in your parents basement right you could blame I don't know, capitalism, you could blame this, that, and the other well, thing. Well, some but of these could... people are rich kids, though. Let's be real here. Well, Elliot Roger, not underprivileged. I think most of them are not Elliot Rogerses, right? They are not, um, you know, super privileged kids. But even if those kids do exist and they're part of this whole thing, um, you know, this trailing indicator, right, of uh, gender relations does, again, come from a crisis in um, the social relationships that are developed by capitalism. Conservatives oh, totally. are, con- are constantly talking about, you know, traditional marriage and things of that sort. Uh, when the biggest, um, how shall I say, the biggest battering ram against the nuclear family is capitalism, you know, forcing. Yeah. It you know, dissolves social bonds of all kinds. And it's not unique to working class people. I mean, we're all atomized and alienated in front of various screens. And, you know, it might not manifest as being an incel but it's certainly a factor wait okay you're just saying capitalism is is hurting the nuclear family bond i capitalism to go back historically actually and i think this is important to talk about capitalism in its infancy actually creates this conception of the family and i think we spoke about this on another episode the family as um having a male breadwinner and then having right. a, a, a woman who uh, is engaged in social reproductive activities, which is to say all the things that allow, A, the man to go back to work, you know, yeah. be healthy and fed and sheltered and all that, but also to, you know, keep the house in order uh, and also to, of course, raise the next generation of workers moving forward. So in the late 19th century, um, this becomes this sort of ideal. Uh, it becomes justified uh, ex post facto Um, for a rising middle class uh, in the United States uh, and elsewhere 
Now, that whole conception uh, is divorced from what came before it, which was for almost all of human history, the family unit was also an economic unit, right? If you're on a small farm, there was no, there was a division of labor, sure, gendered, right? But the mother was out in the fields as soon as the kids could get, you know, were old enough to go out and, you know, swing a scythe or whatever it is they were working. If you were a small artisan, you know, that your kids were apprenticing at nine years old and your wife was selling the wares out of the front. So the, the household unit was not this um, market-driven sort of, um, it didn't have these market-driven external pressures upon it. Uh, it was its own sort of internal firm, right? So what happens is that capitalism, because it brings more and more people into the cash nexus, into the market economy, uh, it pulls the breadwinner out from the family. But while it does that, ideologically, the female is now uh, changed from an economic producer within the home to a nurturing, virtuistic mother figure, right, who takes care of the family and protects the uh, the dad and the kids from market forces, right? Protects them from, you know, everything that's happening in the outside world. And that only becomes democratized in the United States. And of course, that's the whole ideal of the 50s dad, right? That only becomes democratized in the United States in the 1950s and 1960s because... For some people. Well, for many working class people, for the majority. I think it's in 1953 that... Uh, for the first time, the majority of families had uh, only one source of income from a male breadwinner. For white people. Yeah, there are, yes, of course, there are racial distinctions here, right? The, the, the point is, is not to say that there aren't exceptions and there wasn't racism and that it was a good system, right? The point is to say that uh, innovations and uh, structures within capitalism um, basically created the conditions for this to exist and then yeah. also... Uh, after that, people created an ideology that said that this is the way that things are supposed to be. Yeah. And these people are trying to look back to the 1950s as though it were always there instead of just an aberration. Yeah, that's why it's so fucking ridiculous when people like Jordan Peterson say that men and women have only been working together for 40 years. Yeah, that's oh, fucking oh, bullshit. It's an experiment. Try it's not working. Try 100,000. Like, and you have no concept of history whatsoever, dude. And, I, and going back... To like tribal societies, you know, where the the family unit was like far more de-emphasized, you know, in yeah, in small in small tribes, clan, you know, because yeah. there was the the competition aspect was not with your neighbors, you know. Um, so I mean, so just when you initially said, oh, that capitalism, you know, is hurt, you know, is kind of the battering ram against the nuclear family, I immediately jumped to like tribalism, thinking about how capitalism reinforces the nuclear family because your family is competing against every other motherfucking family on your goddamn block, you know, for the scraps. Yeah, no, I, I should clarify, actually. It, um, it's, not, it's not this uh, battering ram against the family per se. It's a battering ram against all well-worn traditions, right? And all human relationships. And all human relationships that exist. So it can create this um, idealized 50s dad version of the nuclear family, but when, in the 1960s and 1970s, women, A, forced themselves into the workplace, and B, capital needs more labor and cheaper labor, right? Uh, there's no structural reason why that same nuclear family 
cannot be dissolved by having both the male and the female within, you know, the traditional nuclear family, both working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Yeah. And that's, that's capital's wants. It's not what people wanted per se. You know, this is what the, the, the system demanded of them. I mean, it's definitely good that women have more choices now, but it also sucks because capitalism uses everything we like against us. And it created what Nancy Fraser refers to as a crisis of care that has yet to be resolved. Like somebody has to do the work of social reproduction and it's usually still women. So they're caught in this impossible bind where you can be like a half good mother and half good at your career, but you can't be both. And, you know, the way that we're solving that problem right now is well off women are outsourcing their domestic labor to women from poorer parts of the world but it's really just passing the buck down the line. And, you know, if capitalism were to do what it claims it can do and bring everyone up to the standard of living, there would cease to be human beings because, like, someone has to do that social reproductive work, you know? Robots. And, like, you can see it in um, Japan is sort of an alternate vision of this future because they have almost no immigration and their birth rate is uh, negative at this point in time. That's right. So... Like, we need more people, we need more workers, and this is one of the great internal contradictions of capitalism, because the more you squeeze people, like, and they just view social reproductive labor and child rearing as this infinite free gift, but it's not. Like, birth rates are way down. They have not recovered that much since the Great Recession, and I really don't see it getting any better. What capitals managed to do over the last 30, 40 years, as this uh, transformation has happened, you know, people call it neoliberalism from the Fordist era, is it's been able to monetize and commodify all sorts of care work. And also things as simple as, you know, the proliferation of fast food and and restaurants and people eating out because they're so busy, they don't have time to like have a home cooked meal, right? I mean, that is literally taking something that was happening in in the household, as you said, free female labor, not quite free because the male wage was actually included within what the woman and the children needed to reproduce themselves, right? But uh, it's this yeah, deepening and now that's commodification. that's not even included anymore under right. neoliberalism. Which shows you how, despite all the you know, celebration of innovation and, and capitalism and technology, right, we are not any farther ahead than we were in the 1960s or 70s, right? No. People are working more hours for less money. They're insecure. And to bring it back to the these, you know, poor... I say poor and like sad, these like shitbags, sad, alienated, lonely kids, right? This is, these are the kind of family environments that they're growing up in. And I'm no great defender of the bourgeois family. You know, I'd love to see it abolished, you know, along with many other sort of relations, right? But, you know, these kids do not have parents who are able to give that care work, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I feel like we should talk a little bit about liberal feminism and their response to this whole incel thing, because... I think, as usual, their analysis is correct, but limited. It's correct, but incomplete. Like, um, I saw a very good article in Harper's Bazaar by my friend Jennifer Wright talking, sort of breaking down the real shit that's going on with incels, that they basically, they hate women, they're a hate group, 
it's not really about loneliness, right? Because if it were about loneliness, they would be like planning fun meetups for them to like get right. together and support each other. No, it's about hating. Or they women. would have some friends who are women, maybe. Yeah, per- perhaps. <laughs> to be able to make eye contact with a little woman. Yeah, you know, they would just like practice their social skills. But no, it's about hating women and wanting power over them. And that's exemplified by who they think is an alpha and who they think is a beta, right? Who's the they... most alpha man in the United States right now, do you think? Donald fucking Trump. Boom. Like, uh, heard it here first, folks. Like Jennifer said, God like this is a, so a disgusting obese orange man whose wife physically recoils at his touch <laughs> but he's a real player because he owns her you know whereas someone like john legend even though he's married to a supermodel is a total cuck because you know he views her as a person he's a beta cuck yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that 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 really does get to the heart of this whole thing which is that as you said it's it's not about oh i'm so lonely it's about this social alienation turned outwards into a very shallow, you know, ideology of this bizarre con- conception that women control everything in the world, right? That like, you know, pussy is what gets, you know, everything done in this society. From it's your this, mouth to God's ears, honey. Right, I know. Like, it, 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 it kind of what it does. I'm going to pause for a second because I'm going to stutter. I, I got a point on bourgeois feminism real quick. Oh, my God. We're doing good, guys. <laughs> good job. Oh, my God. Good job, everyone. Andrew, I'm just doing? thinking about this. Fucking men's rights, motherfuckers! Oh, go, you're gonna oh, go makes off. makes me so man. mad. I and I because I've feel talked free to, to I like I've spent like time talking to these people like in person on the internet. I don't know why. I know why because some of them are like like I have like family like cousins who are like deep into the shit. Oh you know? no! Yeah, yeah. And, ooh, it's some scary ass shit. It's some scary ass. And like, shit. what do you do with those people? Like the Amanda Marcotte analysis is sort of like. Yeah, there are these ahistorical forces in, you know, mostly white dudes, like racism and sexism. And all we can really do with it is just try to keep them out of power. But that's not really enough for me, because if you view it that way, then you really can't do anything about it. And we're all about doing things about it here at the Antifada. So about uh, about bourgeois feminism, right, which uh, Jennifer Wright, you know, an old colleague of yours uh, represents. And I think in a really good and smart way. Uh, in her piece and in others, right? Uh, she comes from this uh, position of liberal feminism. Um, at heart of that conception and movement, which has done tremendous things for women, uh, tr- the tremendous gains have been made. As you said, we, nobody here wants to s- put women back in the kitchen you know, barefoot, right? Um, but this kind of liberal feminism eventually runs up against a barrier, yeah. Uh, because it, it, it arrives out of this enlightenment period, which is tied with the whole rise of capitalism, this conception of uh, universal rights and universal equality. Um, you know, it's got these ebbs and flows, you know, as early as the uh, American uh, uh, Revolution and the French Revolution, you had very radical uh, calls for women's emancipation, voting rights and things of that sort. And then it kind of ebbs for a long time as, you know, men take back control. You have the 20s with the flappers, you know, those real, you know, I don't know, lit ass uh, hoes. Floozies. Yeah, floozies. Uh, that's how they would call it back then. Fun uh, broads. Yeah, f- some fun broads, some nice dimes, uh, you know, who kind of broke these, so- these sexual mores. You have the, f- the 40s where women go to work in the factories while the men are at war. Then they're pushed back in, you know, to the household. You have the 60s and 70s, which, of course, was the huge you know, women's rights push that really got us the gains that we have today, right? 
But the problem with this sort of feminism, and Jamie, you're a socialist feminist, uh, as I am, so perhaps you'd True agree that. with me. I would it, never waste my time <laughs> with a man who wasn't. Amen. Um, this conception of formal equality, it reaches its limits when you get to the market, right? Yeah. Because this conception of um, you know, bourgeois feminism uh, cannot deal with the fact that the market, especially the labor market, and uh, the market in terms of things like social reproduction and things of that sort, cannot countenance an equality between people when it comes to wages. It cannot countenance an equality between people when it comes to their power on the, on the shop floor. And like the commodification of people is also a thing that they have yet to fully reckon with. Yes. Like, I mean, first of all, they understand that these guys hate women, but they don't really understand why they hate women. And they're like, oh, you know, it's not my job to think about that. It's not my job to educate you. But I really do think we need to understand the material basis for this if we're going to do shit about it. And also, like, they really put sex in a special category. Like, they, w they think that... You know, sex is not a commodity and shouldn't be a commodity. A lot of these folks. Yeah, tell Madison Avenue that. Yeah, <laughs> but like it is like I've heard a lot of there's like this liberal feminist conception of what sex should be, which is not a commodity to be bought and sold on the market, not a thing that women have that men want. But and I agree with that. But I also want to decommodify everybody's labor. You know, like I I want to go even further than that. Like I'm not against sex work because uh, it's somehow especially bad to sell your sexual labor for money. I'm against it because I'm against all work. And communists often use prostitution as a metaphor for all work because it's very evocative for people. But um, yeah, like it is, it is a commodity. And um, I, I too want to decommodify that. Um, and we've heard some people talking some weird talk about how sex should be redistributed Ooh, are you talking about douche hat spread the wealth around i might be <laughs> and Lost like which hat. would obviously entail like turning women into sex slaves basically and i want to decommodify sex but not because it's like a commons that everyone should have equal <laughs> access to whenever they a, want such a fucking psychopathic I, idea yeah, like i want to decommodify it like i want to decommodify all labor because women sex workers laborers are human beings and we have value inherent to that as human beings and not just as commodities on the market hell yeah and, and one thing i thought of when you said that too is that um one of the ways that that people were talking about dealing with this incel situation right because unlike say a um a muslim uh terrorist you know who goes and you know blows up a uh, a shia mosque or you know uh flies a plane into a tower um, we're very concerned about these, uh, these young white men in America who are alienated, right? And we want to know about all their reasons why they do the things, and we want to get to the heart of the matter, right? No, seriously, right? Um, uh, one of the ways that, that they've been talking about dealing with this crisis, you know, uh, is prostitution. You know, saying, oh, well, you know, if we uh, just had, you know, sex work could be legalized, then this incel problem would go away. But I think we saw in the Elliot Roger video uh, again, that it's not about sex. It's not about orgasming, and it's not even about human contact. They actually want affection in a way. They want to be loved in a way. They're, they feel rejected. And the actual process of having sex isn't, I think, what really drives them. No.
That, no, that, if that were true, they no. would all just go to prostitutes. Exactly. They Which want, people used to do back in the day. They know, want that was to the be, solution. Yeah, they want to be able to compel somebody to not just have sex with them, but love them or respect them. Accept which uses them. the word adore. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, the they really want to redistribute popularity. Yeah. Oof. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that's that kind of comes to like one of the limits of, of what our horizon could be politically, right? Is that... Uh, you know, even under the most egalitarian and, and equal system in the entire world with no exploitation, there are going to be some people who are more, I don't know, socially uh, adept than other people. You know, and there are going to be some folks who are more loners and don't really. Yeah. Learn. But don't you think it would be much, much better under socialism? Well, empirically, it is. They, they, they've, they've done these studies, right? That is true. I mean, all right. I brought this up on the majority report the other day. Someone was like, I need to convince my friend that socialism is good. What are your top three selling points? And I said to myself, I felt myself going on and on about, you know, alienated labor and your surplus value. And then the third one, I'm like, all right, I need something spicy. Sex would be better under socialism. Boom. Boom. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, QED they've bitches. done studies. And then I was like, well, I mean, the only real concrete studies are that sex is better for women. Like they actually polled women uh, before and after the fall of the soviet union or was it in east and west I think it was east germany it was east and west berlin i think yeah yeah i, think yeah. I believe that was it and like the women Fact living that, under Andy. socialism had more orgasms which is a very easy way to quantify i mean it's not all that sex is about but it's like pretty fucking great well let me just say too that there have been recent studies and this is just you know contemporary american society They've done studies about uh, partnerships, marriages where there's children involved, where uh, the male and the female or the male and the male or female and female within this uh, marriage or partnership share the household duties and the child rearing. Right. And what they've shown is that not only are they quali qu qualitatively happier, uh, but we can also see that they're quantitatively happier because they have much more sex with each other when they're sharing the social reproductive duties. You don't so, say. Yeah, so unfortunately, the, the bad part of that is that only apparently, according to this, 30% of couples in the study did do an equal share of child care and mm. household labor. But, you know, 30% can grow. And, you know, at least in the medium term, we can imagine that, you know, men and women or men whoever's in a relationship with each other, you know, can potentially you know be happier and have better sex lives when they cooperate instead of compete or dominate one another spoken and like a true cock samantha <laughs> <laughs> i would just like to say that for me a thing is you know with the the working hours that people work to the fucking bone like if you do not have the time to not be exhausted you get home and you're already exhausted you don't have the time for foreplay you don't have the time for meaningful sex that is about like emotional connection right. um you know yeah. i think if everybody's fucking exhausted from working all the time the quality of sex decreases because maybe maybe it is just a race to orgasm you know but while you still have the energy you know um maybe you know you're fucking exhausted as fuck but feel some sort of social yeah. obligation because of all of the conditioning from media that we have oh it's a wasted day if i don't fuck in it you know like all all all, all these things i think go to that point but i i would also like to you know i i, I don't think i don't think misogyny is caused by capitalism and i don't think a socialist or communist world 
would be inherently egalitarian or feminist. Well, it plays a pretty big role, though. Like, Marx and Engels were trying to figure out where women's oppression came from, which I appreciate as a woman. And well, they what, traced it back to the beginning of private property. Well, Jamie, um, on that point, uh, I think it's a kind of a pushback about what you were saying. I agree that we're never going to create a perfect utopian world, but you had a little thing. Remember when uh, that, that uh, Roosh V guy did that? Oh, yeah. He tried to bang a country and <laughs> failed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So this guy, Roosh V, he's like a pickup artist, and he has written a bunch of guides to how to bang women in different countries. And then he went to Denmark, and all of a sudden, he was cock-blocked by socialism. Because in a place where there's more equality between the sexes, all of a sudden, his bullshit tactics didn't work anymore. Because when women don't depend on men for survival, they have to, you know, be charming and interesting and good at sex. So, sorry, dude. Are you saying Rouge V isn't charming, interesting, and good at sex? Mm, <laughs> perhaps. So, in the end, the book he wrote was called Don't Bank Denmark. It's like, yeah, it's a bunch of fucking prudes. I don't even know what's... He actually admitted... Like, there's a good article about it in, uh, I want to say, Dissent magazine, Yeah, I think I remember that article. Called, like, Cockblock by Socialism that broke it down. And he actually admits... He's like, yeah, maybe socialism is good for some people. And maybe it makes a lot of people's lives better, especially women. But I don't like it because, you know, I can't get laid, so... Well, Roosh V is the guy who wrote the pro-rape essay. Oh, yeah. If oh, you recall shit. this whole said fucking legalized thing. rape, yeah. This is you know, part marital, of the, Just marital rape. Oh, okay. There's the manosphere for you, right? Where you can say those things and uh, still have a following. Oh, my God. I have another point that I wanted to get yeah, to. I oh, yeah, I have one, too. So, uh, so uh, after I said that thing on the show about how sex is better under socialism, at least for women... Someone was like, well, why would a man care about that? And I was like, come on. Oh, I don't know. Uh, only a total fucking psychopath would want to fuck someone who doesn't want to fuck them back. Right. right? Maybe sex is, is more enjoyable as a two-sided experience. <laughs> Maybe sex is more enjoyable if you're actually like communicating and interfacing with somebody and it's an exchange and not just fucking... Not, not like, just like the, these like... These, the, alcohol. Wow, I hadn't no, no, pegged no. our guests the, for these such a fucking, <laughs> we learn something new every minute I'm, hold on my my alt-right rush v um loving cousin I love how mad you're getting cousin specifically <laughs> specifically told me i wasn't a cuck oh that's Aww. very nice of he's it. like i've never met a bernie supporter who wasn't a cuck <laughs> wow is that because you're like six foot two and handsome with uh, uh facial hair yes <laughs> how generous how very generous of him well uh but, but you know but like like this i mean uh you know i'm assuming he's never gonna listen to this because um, it's like, yeah. already an hour and a half. We have his listen. number. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, like, like this is one of those, like, he's not an incel, but, like, this is one of those dudes who's clearly, like, I do have Chad privilege, as you brought up. And this is something to be aware of. Because for me, it's very easy to say, like, just, like, respect women and they'll come to you and want to fuck you. You know? <laughs> like, um, that does get, I, I think what you're touching on is, and I hate to do it, but I want to throw these not the manosphere what's it migtow people men going their own way not the real hardcore uh, uh misogynists and, and women haters but the people on the alt-right 
who are kind of the rank and file, who aren't the, uh, who aren't completely gone, who aren't the basket of deplorables, you know, who are super yeah. into uh, white power and uh, ethnic nationalism and all that. I think there are. They're like, I, I just, I just wanted tariffs. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> they got cucked by the president. But um, the, uh, <laughs> I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is that there is a hardcore of this incel uh, manosphere PUA men's rights uh, movement that is unreachable you know we should not be trying to you know yeah no. uh, organize or get in touch with them we should be trying to destroy them uh similar again politically to those uh folks who voted for the god emperor the supreme gentleman donald trump who did it despite his racism but not because of his racism a lot of his economic populism appealed to them even though they got sold a false bill of goods i'm not defending what they did but they are people who voted for trump who voted for obama you know four years ago you know some you you know who i'm talking about right yeah i guess i'm trying to say that there is uh, probably a pretty decent subsection of these incels who are passing through a phase you know of alienation and they're not lost, you know, yeah. they're not Elliot Roger. They're not going to go out and start shooting and killing people. Right. And we need to understand where this loneliness and this alienation and this anger and this misogyny comes from, not only to understand the society and the economy that we live in. Right. But also to try to imagine how to get out of that and make a yeah. better society, because we can't go one by one. I'm not going to go to Reddit and, you know, start, uh, you know. Uh, a therapy session with hmm. these 13 year olds in no, it's uh, Omaha. True, though. A lot of these people are lonely. They're lost. They're looking for something community. Let me just preface this by saying, um, like it's not only about how they're celibate, right? Like our friend Andrew was talking about earlier. This is huge. Like they, there are huge misogynists who do get laid, who have the exact same ideology. All the red pill people have the same fucking beliefs as these incels. So the idea that it's them not getting laid, that it's the birth of this ideology, is fucking absurd. It because is. all the people who are getting laid believe the same ass shit. It's just they're getting laid, so they don't care as much. Yeah, and they probably treat their partners like garbage. Total garbage. But um, I do sympathize with some of these people to some degree. And here's where the analogy to Trump voters comes in. And I think there is a bit of overlap here. Like, it's easy to say, you know, fuck those people. They're deplorables. It's not my job to educate you. We don't want to understand this or empathize with it because that's somehow inherently offensive. All we can do is try to keep you from power. And like, I understand the impulse and I feel it too, but it's not ultimately very constructive and um are you saying as socialists uh we want to get to the structure the uh the roots or the the radical solution to these problems yeah i mean and it's like you can do it on a personal and a political level right like i'm not saying like you know hug an incel today but like just to use one example um there was a guy who was extremely creepy to me and my friend at a DSA event recently. What's his name? And I'm not going to name any What's names. What's his social security number? No, no, no. Branch, at least. But, um... Is he at the convention? It's Dave. It was Mike. I John, know. John. It was John. No comment. Yeah, it was John Mark but, Dave. Um, <laughs> but um, if this had happened at one of my bars, you know, like Alphaville or whatever, 
Uh, Antifada, by the way, has a whole uh, chain of bars. Uh, <laughs> very much like TGI Fridays, but the uh, decor is a little different. So, sorry, your bars guy. Yeah, if it had happened at one of my, you know, regular hangs, like Alphaville or whatever, I would have just had him 86 from that place forever. Like, fuck this guy. But since it was in the space of the DSA, I was like, no, you know, I want to be the change I wish to see in the world and have a mediated conversation with him. Like, this guy, he's probably socially awkward. Probably a bit lonely. Maybe he has some substance abuse problems. So we had a nice conversation. Wait, did you actually bring in a, a mediator? Yeah. There's yeah, a process like, now, offic- right? Officially? Like- we, you know, the process is not yet set in stone. And this actually inspired me to join the committee to create the grievance process. Fuck yeah. Thank you for your service. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. But um, we had, and they asked me, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I think it should be the same said, for everyone. I want to kick him out and I want to send him. Uh, some rare Pepe's. Oh no! And, uh, Pepe starter to... pack. Yeah, yeah. No, no, because that's like that's always the fear, right? Like if you're too mean to these guys, they turn into Pepe's. So I was like, no, I'm gonna, you know, be a bigger person than I usually am, and uh, have a nice little talk with him, explain what he did that was bad, and uh, give him him an opportunity to apologize and move on and that's exactly what happened. I don't I don't think for the record that it's an unbig person thing to write off somebody who mistreats just just for the record. Yeah, I don't fair I, enough. Well yeah, at the it's bar it's a lot it's to ask thing, of people. You know? Yeah. I mean I, yeah. it's a lot to ask of women or any marginalized population. So I understand the liberal resistance to, and the, the general resistance to it, but it's also like mm, not always that productive if we're trying to change hearts and minds you know and i really am afraid that guys like that are especially vulnerable to this type of rhetoric and this type of ideology i mean of course there's the a backlash effect oh backlash i want to talk about backlash so the backlash you mentioned uh i think that that is a huge part of this because for every struggle for equality, uh, for every struggle for uh, rights. And um, certainly uh, the left has won that battle, or we thought we won it completely, you know, starting in the 60s and and coming up to today, uh, in terms of accepting, you know, people, no matter their gender, their race, you know, ethnicity, religion, uh, this, that, and the other thing, which are universal things that we should all want, right? In terms of gender, uh, amazing gains have been made. But as old sweet gains, bruh. Sweet gains. Nice gams. Uh, there, there was for every gain, right, that a marginalized group uh, creates in a in a uh, competitive political environment, right, of scarce resources and hierarchies and stuff like that. There is a loss, right. So there was and is a real loss of traditional conceptions of male uh, of masculinity, right, and manhood. Um, you understand what I'm saying, Jamie, right? Like, you know, the, the breadwinner conception still, you know, it, it, it has a hold in, in men's minds when they're a stay-at-home dad and, say, the wife or the partner is out making more money than them, it causes real angst, right? Yeah, totally. And so we see this um, this sort of compensation, I think, for this loss of this traditional masculin- masculinity, not only in behavior, but also in terms of subjectivity right how people view themselves and this expressed itself of course in ideology so you know to kind of bring everything together again and and end it you know you've got this um 
this marketing culture, right, that uh, uses these appeals and these aspirations of a very uh, commodified, you know, sexual free environment. Uh, you have this normalization of um, sexual exploits and um, the ability of men and women uh, to get laid in uh, entertainment. Yeah, and uh, sex as like a badge of honor that makes yes. you like a big cool man. Like Ugh, that's. That that was always a big thing, but now I think like the that Hugh Hefner ideal. It's not really about pleasure. They might think it is, but was Hefner it's about, about pleasure? impressing he your wasn't. friends yeah. and numbers yeah. and numbers? How many people? Yeah, right. and like you know, making another notch on your belt or like looking like a big man to the other guys. That's what the Hugh Hefner thing was all about, and having power over other people. It's That's not right. really about pleasure and, and making money, right? Of course, because he made a lot of money over a yeah. long time. So. It, but these these inequalities, right, that exist nowadays, they do actually produce what these incels and these men rights people are talking about, right? You do have a set of people who make more money and have higher status and do have more access to sexual partners, whether they're men or women um, or other. Uh, and you do have a whole series of people now who don't have job opportunities and cannot afford to go out on a Tinder date or even download the app, right? You have these new... App is free. New well, whatever. Yeah. And it's kind of gendered to assume that the men would have to pay for the date. Although, of oh, course, that's man. gendered on their assumption, not yours. Oh, thanks. We're getting <laughs> to gendered assumptions. Th <laughs> thanks for uh, helping me with that segue there. So, again, we have, you know, the, the, the nuclear family and the extended family dissolving under economic and other pressures. Right. And you also have, uh, you know, you guys talked earlier about, oh, why don't these kids like form a club or something like that? You know, they're used to be in the United States like I'm, again I'm not saying they these do are have great institutions like Boy Scouts that you went out to the woods they had Kiwanis clubs you know homosocial activities like being a volunteer firefighter right not sitting in your basement like you know talking shit uh, you know calling somebody a faggot on some PlayStation game you know like with your buddies who you're in a clan with and they live all over the, the, the world so there is a real material basis for this alienation and well and this also goes back to this idea of of, of expecting it as something that you deserve yes you know because like, because speaking of volunteer fire departments which is like just amazing thing regardless also like if okay if you are a guy in your basement only playing video games getting laid not getting laid and want to get laid joining a fucking volunteer fire department is like Come on, like there are options. Uh, you're, you're in you the can, pink. You can yeah. put in work. Like, like if you want to, women to find you attractive, put in work and do things that they that will please them. Yeah, but because once upon a time, these men might have had partners just by virtue of being men with a certain amount of means, who were actually guaranteed some kind of job, as particularly as white men. You know, like they. They would yeah. they would have a job to support a woman and would automatically baseline like guaranteed yeah. entitlement like yeah. you will have a wife and it was like a thing that people just did like if yes, you were a woman yes. you were expected to get married and have kids whereas now yeah. we have way more options than that and that is scary to men because that gives them less power if I'm too us. shitty to women I might not end up with a wife this yep. is a huge fucking thing because this gets us back to history which is very important under you know middle age you know feudal relations and then and still across the world the parents decided who the kids would marry or the yenta or the rabbi or the priest or whoever it was you know they would decide parentally who would be the partner for the other you know then we had this idea of the love match right where you're supposed to choose a partner but that happened right out of high school you formed a, ho a household right you made a family and then boom it was the biggest thing in your entire life nowadays right um 
people wait until they're, you know, 30, 35 years old to get married. And there's all this freedom, you know, to explore yourself and explore your world, which again is a, is a wonderful thing. I'm not shitting on better relationships for sure. Divorce rates are down among millennials. It it makes for a better lot of things, but but there are negative consequences. Exactly. And and what I want to talk about just to finish it out is that I think that the incel and the manosphere and the MGTOW uh, communities, they're actually a, a reflection of the contradictions within bourgeois ideology. Do you, do you buy it or should I explain it? No. I'm, not, I'm not sure I buy it yet because I feel like mis- like misogyny is something much more fundamental than like bourgeois capitalism. I think it goes its roots are deeper in our society. But uh, I'm kind of uneducated uh, and would like to hear uh, your argument. Well, my new friend, allow me to give you an argument. Fuck yeah, learning. So you have these sets of contradictions, right? That you saw in the Elliot Rogers uh, horrific video. Uh, also, in a lot of just the conversation that we've had as people who unfortunately are familiar with this whole manosphere uh, scene, right? You have on the one hand this obsession with competition between alphas and betas and cucks and normies, which, and by all the way, shit, which is very capitalist. Is not those terms come from a study of wolves, which was later discredited by its own author. Are you saying that a bunch of fourteen-year-olds on 4chan? Uh, are not using the correct uh, and valid citations for their uh, mm. worldview. I'm shocked and appalled. Um, so you have this conception of like competition, which is real, right? But then you also have uh, guys like Elliot Rogers says in the video, he wants affection, right? He wants a partnership. He wants somebody to love and to love him back. There's a contradiction there, competition versus partnership. You also have in this uh, day and age, um, this abundance of sexual experiences that people can have, right? Um, if you're so lucky uh, in an urban area, right? You can uh, explore your gender fluidity. Uh, you can have many, many partners. You know, you can uh, do all sorts of uh, fun and awesome sexual things. But we got all- gays, we got straights, we got genderqueers, we got I people hear- who don't even believe in monogamy. It's otters, crazy. We got otters, we got twongs, we got 400 genders. I hear, I hear you're allowed to do it in rural areas now, too. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. It's Maybe not just sheep you. anymore. Yeah. Uh, oh, that was... I'm sorry. That was good cut, cut that out, Andy. We don't want angry tweets. Coastal yeah. elite. We just, oh, my we just, God. Just, Bumfuck DSA is coming after you. <laughs> we just lost uh, Can- Lawrence, Kansas DSA. DSA. Uh, so, like, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm making these sort of contradictory sort of analyses of, of it, right? So, you know, you have this abundance of uh, sexual experiences, but then also you have this idea that it's a zero-sum game. That there's only like a certain amount of like, I hate to say it, but that's what they say, pussy out there in the world, right? And the chads are taking all of it, right? It's like this scarce resource. You also see in the Rogers piece too that he sees these women as instruments, right? As subhuman objects, you know, as like meat socks to, you know, put your penis into. Um, But also at the same time, and this is actually very similar to anti-Semitism, right? These... Uh, manosphere folks also see women as all powerful too right as using their you know sexual uh appeal to control men in society you know it's this sort of it's it's a very similar thing the disenfranchised group as secretly it is reverse racism it's It's the the same same conception as reverse racism it's the same thing it goes back to the trump shit and the politics of aggrievement 
and making the oppressor look like the victim and vice versa. Exactly, which is the oldest that the oldest trick the devil ever pulled. And or like maybe these people are oppressed in some way, but they're completely misplacing the blame for it. That's what what I'm getting at. Again, um, something that they actually have power over, which is like an individual woman as opposed to like capitalism, which we don't have power over. You know, this is like, our big problem on the left is our explanations are really long and dense mm -hmm. and hard to understand. <laughs> but they're they're right. Yeah, that's why we need some pithy bullet points like socialism. Have better sex. Yes, exactly. So just to finish out my long fucking well, spiel about this, like, so you have this other contradiction too, which again comes out of the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s of a men's rights movement that's um, all about libertine, you know, banging Ukraine, banging Turkey, banging Afghanistan, whatever, right? Oh, we the, did that all right. Yeah, oh, God, that was, that was bad. I shouldn't have said the A word. Um, <laughs> but then, but then you also have a, a huge split, you know, with this traditional sense too that men should be gentlemen and that you know there's this oh, traditional religious form of, yeah, but it's a, sec it's a, it's a sex it's a uh, secularized one right because that's the era we live in it's a secularized uh, secularized justification for you know traditional relations between men and women based on hierarchy and the last thing i'll say and then i will not drop the mic because that's not only a bad old joke but also these mics are on uh, stands boss. and belong to your boss but you see this in the Elliot Rogers and a lot of this talk too right is that and I hate to say this word right there is this relationship this contradictory relationship between wanting affection right wanting true connectedness wanting love and care right and the ultimate threat that these people love to fall back on on the internet and God forbid in real life which is rape all right. So they have th these are the, this contradictory thing where they oh we want to appreciate women. We want their affection. Right. Oh, but if you're, you know, a fucking Stacy, we're just going to come hide in the bushes. And, you know, you know what I'm saying. Right. So it's a very contradictory ideology, but it does express real, I think, currents that exist in our economy and our culture and just the way that society is structured. So in that way, we can not, uh, you know, become homeboys with these you know, basement dwelling, mouth breathing douchebags, right? But at least try to understand the conditions that make incel a thing that you have to talk about on the news. Yeah. I mean, if you want to fight something, the most important thing is to understand it. And that doesn't mean we're giving them a pass. It just means that we understand that this stuff is not created in a vacuum. It's not this a historical force that we can't do anything about. There are historical and material reasons for what's going on and once we can figure that out you know like sean said you don't have to have sex with these people you don't have to be the best friend but you know you can try to do something to fix it and also too we need to remember that despite all the gains of the last 40 50 years got the last two three hundred years when women win rights you know, when racial minorities win rights, when workers win rights, those are always open to a backlash and a counterattack. And that's what we're seeing now. And we have to be at the forefront of pushing against this backlash and making sure that not only the gains of the past are held onto, but that we're pushing them forward beyond the bonds of what liberal capitalism can offer. Um, I, want, I want to talk about, I, I, I want to go into that because I think there's... Um kind of a middle ground between like incels and you know just kind of like 
right-wing trash men who treat women like uh, commodities, you know? And, like, thinking about uh, somebody like uh, Jordan Peterson, who oh. puts so much emphasis on, uh, like, personal responsibility. Um, yeah. I, I can't remember. He's a surrogate exactly. dad, yeah? For the lobster people. Oh, definitely. <laughs> we got to wrap it up, though. Yeah, yeah, let's forget forget about that. No, no, you have, is it a good story? Uh, I don't know. I I don't know exactly how it, it would it would take way too long. All right. We, In conclusion, know. we need to build some sex robots so these people can have companionship of a sort and that's going to solve all the problems forever the end. Well, if I mean I I do have one maybe valuable thing which is you know, th this question of, of how valuable socialism is to, like, curing or helping or dealing with these misogynists. You know, to a certain extent, there are people who are too deep into it and you're never going to convert them. But we're always looking to the new generation, you know, and people who are, like, growing up in a culture, you know. And I think um, there are a lot of people, um, people who consider themselves disenfranchised or even just like losers or outcasts or alienated in some way who are um, turning to socialism now um, because of like cultural things and like comedy things. And so, you know, these, and these are, you know, this term fail sons, like, like there are these fail sons who are maybe, you know, like one or two, like, you know, maybe they came across like a socialist comedy podcast before they came across the fucking red pill thing. And, you know, like now, you know, they're here with us and like, and, and at a certain extent you like, yeah, you can have these, awkward encounters at DSA meetings with people who are maybe like not like fully woke on the feminism thing yet or like aware of how to but like maybe maybe those people are people who would have been like totally fucking red pilled yep. um I know. you know and that's so that's why I deal with them yeah and I'm not I'm like I by no means am like like people should have to deal with them because otherwise they'd be red pill people like if like fu like fuck that you know if like somebody mistreats you fuck them you know like you have your individual agency to do whatever the fuck you want but um as far as like what can like socialism and leftist ideas do to like help us like stop more people from turning into um like incels and misogynists and like like not so much like convincing people who are already men rights people to stop being men's rights people because i think that's a losing game i think by talking to those people you're just like spreading their message further and like i'm not i'm not into that like let's talk to the fucking like right-wing trump people but you're talking about dealing with um the root causes of this alienation and this um yeah. social malaise uh, in the short term but actually in the medium to long term trying to create a society where there are still going to be depressed people. There are still going to be people who don't get as much sex or affection as they want. But our goal is to decrease that as much as possible and open society up to creativity and fun and sociality and enjoyment. That's our whole project. Hell and yeah. New like social norms, you know, as far as like, I think, I think a dude who comes into the DSA who might not like know how to talk to women and who might say something inappropriate to women might like you, like you had with, somebody you know a productive conversation David, uh, Mark, yes. <laughs> where they act where they actually learn something and um you know realize that like being rejected by a woman is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you right now no class no job i'm just a victim of society